Acts 4, 1 through 12. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Amen. Thank you, Ray. Good morning. Pastor Silas's church in Vietnam was ambushed. Authorities came and threatened him and his church. They said, you better stop meeting together and worshiping God because we will throw you into jail. We will torture you. We will take you out. Pastor Silas spoke to the one officer who was threatening him and said, we cannot stop worshiping our God. We must continue to give him praise because he has saved us. And he said, well, if you continue to do that, you will be thrown into jail. Pastor Silas spoke to this man and said, I want you to know something. I love you. I love you because of God's amazing love for you. And I want you to know that if you throw us into jail and if you continue to torture us and if you continue to come against us, we will still love you. And then he said one final thing. He said, this must be so hard for you to come against your neighbors, to come against your brothers and attack them and persecute them. This must weigh so heavy upon you that you kill and destroy and wound. And the officer went off in a fury. Two weeks later, there was a loud knock on the door, and it was this officer that Pastor Silas had been speaking to. He thought he was coming to arrest him and to take him to prison. But he was more like Nicodemus coming in the night with Jesus. This officer's family was a mess. His life was a mess. He had lost much. He had suffered much. And he was looking for life. And so that evening, they sat together, Pastor Silas and this authority who was attacking them. And that officer became a child of God. And then as the months went by, he actually, that officer actually gained more authority and responsibility in, in his office. So much so that he was made aware of all the police raids that would be coming against churches 
in Vietnam. And so what he would do on Saturday night is he would call Pastor Silas and he would say, they're coming after you tomorrow. So the authorities would show up ready to take them into captivity and there would be no one there. And then at four o'clock in the afternoon, they would all gather together and they would worship God together and they would praise God in his name right in the middle of all of the persecution and opposition. All glory to God. And there with them was that one police officer. J.I. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, says opposition is a fact. It's a fact. The Christian who is not conscious of being opposed in their Christian life, you better be aware because you are in danger. This morning we get a look at Acts chapter 4. The young church is facing strong opposition. Strong opposition specifically to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ was here, the Messiah has come. He died on the cross for our sin. He rose again, and anyone who should believe upon him shall have life eternal. They're preaching that in the temple courts. And it's stirring up many around, especially the Sadducees. As we look at Acts chapter 4 this morning, I want us to to respond to three questions. Why was there so much opposition to this good work that really took place? A crippled man was healed. Why is there so much opposition? Who is this Jesus that they keep speaking about? And for us, how do we handle opposition, not only in life, but how do we handle opposition as we are bringing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, to this world. Let's pray for that this morning. Father, we, we invite you and we ask you to, to minister to us, to embolden us to speak forth your gospel, that you died on the cross for our sin, that you rose again. And as we place our faith in you, we are saved. We have new life. Thank you for the apostles who went before us, who brought this good news, that we might receive it. And I pray for those in this room who don't know you, Jesus. I pray that their hearts will be open to how much you love them and that you've provided a way unto salvation, a way into presence with you, into relationship with you. Touch their hearts this morning, I pray. In your precious name, amen. Why so much opposition? Listen to Jesus in Luke 15. If the world hates you, You need to know it has hated me before it ever hated you. Remember the word that I said to you, Jesus is saying to his disciples, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, guess what? They're going to persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Do you understand this journey for us as followers of Jesus Christ? This is our path. We will face persecution. We may not face it like Pastor Silas in Vietnam, but we face it with our families, those who don't know the Lord, who are angry at God, and you're a follower of Jesus. They can't stand it. They want nothing to do with you. They put you out. They shut you out. We face it in the workplace when we try to be people of integrity. And they're like, we need to fudge the numbers here. 
How dare you? And they shut you out and they persecute you. We face it in the school systems with our elementary and especially with our universities who mock people who believe in God and Jesus as Savior. We face persecution. And the Lord is teaching us through Acts chapter 4 and through the apostles who went before. This is going to come. They're going to hate you because they hated me first. All of this incredible attack coming upon them. Look at the scriptures say about who's opposing them. Verse 1, it says, The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came to attack them. The primary charge is coming from the Sadducees, just so you know. Then in verse 5, rulers and elders and scribes came against them. Then we have Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, Alexander, all who were of the high priestly family. Many of the same people who threw Jesus right in their midst and said, we persecute you, we judge you, you're going to the cross. All of these people coming against two fishermen and a healed, crippled man. What in the world is going on? Why so much opposition? What is being preached? They're preaching the resurrection. They're preaching the gospel. And they're pointing straight to Jesus. This man that you see before you is healed. They came upon that strongly. The wording used in the text is not like they were just walking by and like, oh, hey, what's going on here? What are you guys talking about? It's, it's they came and they ambushed and they planned this thing out. We are going to take you out. We are going to destroy you. All prepared. Let's get everybody together. They're preaching the resurrection. They're stirring things up in the temple. And they wanted to come again. The scriptures say, and they were greatly annoyed by this teaching. This isn't annoyed like you get annoyed with your little sister who's just a pest. This is we are hot and we are going to kill you. We are vexed to the core. And so they came against these two fishermen and the crippled man. They came against one that where good work was done, this man was healed. The main pressure was from the Sadducees. They were aristocratic. They were super wealthy. They were connected with the government. Very strong into politics. They were coming against them in a powerful way. They had connection with the Roman government. They had this authority and power. They had all that was going on with the sacrifice in the temple. They were in control of everything that took place spiritually in the temple area. They influenced the high priests. If there was someone they really didn't like, they would call in the Roman authorities to take them out, make them disappear. This is who the Sadducees were. They were brutal. And they were not going to lose control. They did not believe in the resurrection, which was being preached by Peter and John and by all of those who had come to Christ. They did not believe in it. And especially, they didn't believe that there would ever be this time that the Messiah had come. If the Messiah had come, if there was a resurrection of the Messiah, the promised Messiah of the Scriptures, if it had happened, it was an incredible threat to them. They would be out of a job real soon. They would lose power, control, 
No need for the temple, really. There's a new temple. There's a new relationship with God through His Son, Jesus. That He was the payment. So no more sacrifices in the temple. If this is all true, the resurrection, this is a threat to us. The Sadducees would become like owners of Blockbuster holding a VHS in their hand as they're watching Netflix go with live streaming. That's what it would be like. It would be, we're going out. Netflix is live. Guess what? Jesus is alive. And he's live streaming today. And he's taking over. And this is a new reality. We're not going to lose control. We're not going to lose power. We will not give it up. Let's take these guys out. That's why there's so much opposition. And because Jesus said, guess what? There's going to be this. Expect it. They hated me first. I was thrown before the Sanhedrin way before you were. They hated me first. We will not give up control. We will not give up power. Well, what about us? Isn't that the same statement that many of us had as we wrestle with God? When we were first trying to understand who He was and He was asking us to surrender our lives unto Him, I don't want to give up power in my life and control. Don't we do the same thing to God? Even as followers of Christ, I don't know if I want to give up control in this one area, Jesus. Maybe some of you in this room this morning, that's your heart today. I don't want to surrender my life to Jesus because I'll be out of control. But we try to control our sin, but the weight is so overwhelming like it was on that officer attacking the church. We feel the weight of shame and guilt and anger. We hate life. We're hopeless. These are the things that you want to have control over, that you don't want to surrender when Jesus says, give it all to me, I, I died on the cross for that. Receive my forgiveness for your sin. Receive salvation. Receive new life. Receive hope. Receive joy. Welcome into the family of God. Be freed from the bondage of sin, those chains that have hold, held you back from life. Come into my loving arms. Stop fighting against God for control of your life. And let Him take it. Let Him be your Savior, your Lord, and receive salvation. Gospel is going out. There's always opposition to the gospel, to the good news. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, guess what? You will be persecuted. Bishop Sheen says this, you know what, it's not all that bad. One advantage of being thrown onto your back is that you face heaven. I love that. One advantage of being thrown onto our backs, persecuted, is that we face heaven. It's all Jesus. We can look to him as our strength, as our life, as our salvation. And we can know he was persecuted first, we can know that He walks through this with us. And we can know that He gives us all His resources, the power of His Holy Spirit to endure. And we can know all this that we're going through is 
I'm heaven bound. My life is in Christ. My eternal home is with you, Jesus. Why so much persecution? Because Jesus was hated first. Second question, who is this Jesus? By what name has this man been healed? By what power? Verse 10 says, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, it's by this power that this man standing before you is well, he's whole. He's been healed not only physically but spiritually. That's by what name? The one that you crucified. You see, your sin put him on the cross. And the truth is, everyone in this room, our sin, put him on the cross. There needed to be a payment for our sin. And God has had a plan to redeem us. Look at verse 27. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, the one whom you anointed. Those gathered against him were Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with Gentiles, all the peoples of Israel. But look at verse 28. Do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Do you get that? Oh, the beautiful sovereignty of our God. From the get-go, from the fall of man, God has had a plan to redeem us. And it's in His Son, Jesus. You think you're in control? No, no, no. This is my plan. This needed to take place. He needed to go to the cross. There had to be a payment for sin. Otherwise, we couldn't have relationship. It's from the beginning of time. And we can have joy in that and rest in that that comes from God's sovereignty. Nothing out of His control. No persecution that's coming that He's not aware of. And that He walks through with you. Not out of His control. It's His amazing love that comes. Everything done for our good. Oh, He's such a good, good Father. He is the one that was put on the cross. But, guess what? He's the one that God raised from the dead. He is alive. He is alive. The power of the resurrection. And that power is what has made this man whole. It's not us, Peter and John are saying. Nothing to do with us. It's the power of Jesus. His resurrection. He's no longer dead. He is risen. We will keep celebrating Easter every day because He is risen. It's what made Him whole, spiritually and physically. Jesus shows up a little bit late to His friend's funeral, Lazarus. Mary and Martha are struggling. They were wishing He had come earlier. But here's what Jesus says to Martha in John 11. Jesus said to Martha, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said, whoa, 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 hold on. You need to know something very clearly, Martha. I am the resurrection. I am the life. 
I am the resurrection and the life. You need to know, whoever believes in me, though he die, he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me, like the crippled man, he shall never die. And the question is to all of us, is do you believe this? Do you believe this? Jesus is offering the gift of life and salvation to each and every one of us. Will you receive it? There's a constant theme in Peter's teaching. The life of Jesus and his death on the cross and his resurrection. It's a gospel message going out. He can't shut up about it. I need to tell you about Jesus. I need to tell you he paid the payment for us. I need to tell you he rose again. You need to know it. Jesus is the one you crucified. He is the one who rose again. Jesus is the cornerstone, the capstone. You see, you rejected this precious stone, but he became the head, the chief, the principal stone in which everything is built upon, in which everything is held together. And as Peter and John are quoting Psalm 118, this this wonderful psalm about God's steadfast love to us. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through and give praise. I thank you that you have answered me and you have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We have a resurrected Jesus. He has risen again and He gives us life as we believe upon Him. You want to know what name? It's Jesus. There is no other name. Will you receive His gift of salvation? Will you receive Him as Lord and Savior? Let Him cleanse you, wash you, forgive you of your sin, Let him heal you, make you whole, give you new life. Today's the day of salvation, friends. This is who Jesus is. And there is salvation, verse 12, in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Well, how dare you, Rod, say such a thing to me? You're telling me there's no other way to heaven? How dare you? How narrow-minded. You're so conservative. You're so narrow in your thinking. There's all kinds of ways to God. Don't tell me that there's only one way. The loving Father has provided a way and only one way. And that's through His Son, Jesus. Warren Buffett made a statement many years ago where he was giving 85% of his $44 billion fortune to charitable foundations. And he commented on his generosity. He said, he said this, there is more than one way to get to heaven, but this is a great way to do it. Here's my $44 million. And Jesus responded to Warren Buffett saying this, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And dear Warren, nobody comes to the Father except through me. 
Warren, will you acknowledge me as Lord and Savior? See, this is solus Christus, salvation in Christ alone, healing through Christ alone, redemption through Christ alone, the kingdom of heaven coming to earth through Christ alone. This has been the core, must-have confession of believers of Christ throughout the centuries. We can say and claim that there is no other name because He is the only one, Jesus, who is fully God and fully human. The second person of the Trinity. He wasn't just a teacher or a prophet. God in the flesh came down. We can claim His name only because He's the only one who lived a sinless life. And therefore, He's the only one who can deal with our sin. Which we have, by the way. So many people today say, what sin? G.K. Chesterton says, sin is the only theological concept that we can be, that we can have 100% proof about. And he says, the way that we can have 100% proof that there is sin, he says, just look around the room. Look at your neighbor. And then go into your bathroom and look in the mirror. There's 100% proof that we are sinners. There's only one name who can deal with that. Third thing that we can claim his name. He was the only one. Jesus was the only one who was raised from the dead. He conquered death. And there's historical counts that point to that. In Corinthians 15, Paul is saying, this Jesus that we're talking about, he died on the cross for your sin. And he rose again. And guess what? He went and he appeared to 500. And basically he said, go talk to those people. They're still around. They experienced the resurrected Jesus Christ. He's the only one who was raised from the dead. All these other religions, you see Buddha and all of his buddies, all of these people who say, we are prophets of God and we have a way to salvation, they're all dead. Jesus is alive and he lives in us. Jesus is the only one who offers us a relationship with a living God. In every other religion, every other way of life and philosophy, there's a statement somewhere in their mix that they say, we can show you the way to find God. We can work enough to find God and get to God, get to heaven. But Jesus isn't just our way to find God. He is God who has come to find you. He's come to find you today, no matter what you bring to this place. No matter what's going on in your life, He finds you in the dark, in the messy places. He finds you in the shame, in the doubt, in the guilt. He finds you in the depression. He's the one who says, right in the middle of all that, I love you. Just like Pastor Silas said. I want to be so much with you, in relationship with you, I'd rather die than lose you. As the Sanhedrin heard that there is no other name, that there is no other way, they were stunned. They were confronted with Jesus. How do we respond? How do we respond to opposition in our life, opposition to the gospel? Well, first again, we must remember always that we are going to face persecution. Opposition is going to come our way. This is part 
of the follower of Jesus Christ, the disciple of Christ, part of the journey. Expect it. We need to learn in the middle of opposition and dealing with it to trust in the power of the word of the gospel that it transforms lives. You see, Peter and John and probably the beggar, they're attacked, they're ambushed, they're thrown into jail overnight. Can you, can you imagine the poor beggar? He's like, just starts his Christian life and like, geez, I'm thrown into jail right away. This is, what kind of gig is this? But I think how cool to be with Peter and John hanging out in jail together, just talking about the things of Jesus. Attack comes. I can imagine Peter and John are a little frustrated. Like, Jesus, we thought you wanted us to go out and to bring the gospel and to bring the good news. We thought you wanted us to be out there and, and bring in this life. And now we're, we're stopped. We're shut up. But look what verse 4 says. But many of those who heard the word believed. They had faith. And the number of men came to about 5,000. First, Peter's sermon, first time, 3,000 came. Then the Lord said, and he was adding numbers to them daily. And then at this time, as they're hearing him in the temple court, another 2,000 are pierced to the core. You can chain the messenger. You can lock up the messenger but you cannot chain the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is living, and God is going out, and He is piercing hearts. Trust in the power of the Word. And as you bring it forth, and you wonder if it has any effect on people, that you're not ashamed of it, because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Romans 1.16 as we bring the gospel, as we enter into people's lives, don't develop a list of excuses. Top ten reasons why I shouldn't enter into this opposition before me. I don't know the right words to debate this. I feel overwhelmed. I'm not trained in theology. How do we do this? How do I answer these attacks? Here's the truth. As a child of God, you have the Holy Spirit in you. He will give you truth. He will empower you to say exactly what you need to say. And you can trust Him with that. These men came before, and they were looking at these men, Peter and John, they're like, these are unlearned men. They're a bunch of fishermen. How in the world are they speaking these powerful truths about Jesus? How is that happening? Because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they were close with Jesus. They brought the gospel truth and it was convicting those in the Sanhedrin. How should we respond to opposition? Trust in the power. Let's not go to excuses. Let's, let's invite the Holy Spirit to empower us. And let us remain in the vine. Stay close to Jesus. Stay close to His Word. Bring forth what the Lord is speaking to. Father, I need You. They're before the Sanhedrin, and it must have felt like deja vu. They're saying, we're looking at these guys, and they're saying all these things. They must have been with Jesus. Because the way that they're speaking is exactly like Jesus was. What the truth that they're speaking is like Jesus. We feel like we're encountering again Jesus when we convicted Him and put Him on the cross. When people encounter you, do they walk away with a sense 
that you have been with Jesus? That's a convicting question for all of us. The Sanhedrin was convinced. These men have been with Jesus. And the Holy Spirit was moving. Be with Jesus. Be in His Word. Be in prayer. Let us have an aroma that is pleasing and life-giving. How do we respond to opposition? Keep following God. Keep preaching the gospel. Listen to verse 18. They called them and they charged them, just like Pastor Silas, don't speak, don't teach in the name of Jesus anymore. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, basically saying you're wrong, God must judge this. For we, this should be our life verse, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. We can't shut up about Jesus. He's changed our life. He's given us life. We're not going to shut up about him. Pastor Silas said the same thing. And they went and they threatened him more. And they went away from that place praising God for all that took place. It's like the underground church in China. They keep trying to tell him to shut up and it just keeps exploding. You're trying to tame a lion. Here's the truth, though. And you need to recognize this. If you're going to stand against authorities on God's truth and his life, there may be severe consequence. You may get thrown into jail. There may be consequence. And let's make sure that we're standing on God's word and his truth alone. His grace We don't go and blow up abortion clinics because we think abortion's wrong. Yeah, we preserve life. We care about women who've gone through abortion or thinking about it. But don't say, I'm going to stand up to the authorities or I'm going to take out these abortion clinics. No, no, no. Live in response to scriptures. And at times we must say, you'll have to judge between God and you. I'm willing to take the consequence. I will be persecuted for this. And the final thing, and the most beautiful thing, is this. They went into prayer. They went into prayer like Jancy prayed this morning. Be still and know that he is God. This is the most important thing when you're facing persecution and opposition. They went into prayer, and their prayer was this. They came together, koinonia. They lifted up their voices to God. They're, They're praising out Psalm 2, which we sung this morning. Our God is sovereign. Our God is a creator. Our God is a God of history. Our God is a God who is in the middle of all this. Our God is a God who's going to reign. And so God, verse 29, look upon their threats. Look upon their threats. Be aware. Enter in with us. That's the invitation. They're humbling themselves in prayer. They're not saying, hey, God, look upon their threats and nuke those guys. They're saying, Lord, embolden us to keep bringing the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Embolden us to share your amazing love and grace. Embolden us. We're facing this opposition. And as they're praying together in koinonia, what happens in the room? The whole room shakes. The power of the Holy Spirit comes upon them, fills them up again, and emboldens them to go out and bring the good news of Jesus because there is no other name by which man shall be saved. Let's pray.
Father, we invite you this morning, pour out your spirit on us. There is no other name, Jesus, and minister that to us and help us to speak that forth. Your grace and your truth and your life, the gospel, the good news. And may we experience in our own lives, Father, the gospel, that you are alive in us and that we have life because of you. We want the world to know. Help us not to to be quiet about it. We can't shut up about it, Jesus. And Father, as we have communion this morning, may we take time to remember you needed to pay the price for our sin so that we could have life in you. And we thank you for your resurrection. And we remember today all that it took so that we might have life. In your beautiful and precious name, Jesus. Amen.